said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I'm, I got to apologize, but that's just a showstopper there. Imagine the look on Jesus' face that the people around him knew that he loved that man. And again, I apologize. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's pray together over the word of God today. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this scripture today. We thank you that Tim's going to break it to us like bread, like the bread of the word of God. And so I pray that you be with him and fill him with your spirit. I pray that you'd illuminate his words to our heart as you inspired them in the first place. And so may there be a holy time here as we hear what this passage means and how it answers the question that has been asked. So God, we ask for your work to be done in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you and good morning. Uh, we are in the, the third week now of a message series uh, that is uh, always very popular here in Encounter. This is the third summer we've been doing this, uh, and that is called uh, That's a Great Question. Uh, and uh, we solicited uh, some months back uh, questions that people have about faith, about God, about uh, basically anything. And uh, we compiled them together and now are going through them on the summer. And today's question is awesome. I'm excited to, to go through it. Uh, and uh, it's about rules and what we have to do. Um, and the question is, uh, you know, is Christianity just about following a bunch of rules. You know, rules are all part of our life. As I was doing some uh, research, research this week about uh, laws and rules, you can't get away from them. They're all over us, uh, especially in this time of, uh, of a living in a pandemic. There's a new set of health rules that you have to follow. Uh, but I looked up some obscure laws, and uh, I thought I'd go over a couple of them. Did you know in, in Connecticut it's Ill illegal uh, for a barber to hum a tune while cutting your hair? In Georgia, nobody can carry, I love it. In Georgia, nobody can carry an ice cream cone in their pocket on Sunday. You have to wait till Monday to do that. In Hawaii, there's a law that says that you can't put uh, coins in your ears. I thought that was common sense, but it's good they made a law for that, I guess. In Kentucky, uh, one, a person cannot uh, dye a duckling blue and sell it. Uh, unless there's six or more ducklings that are dyed blue, then you can sell them. It's a real law in Kentucky, check it out. Uh, in Rhode Island, uh, no person may bite off another's limb. Uh, that's good to know. If you ever travel to Rhode Island and have that desire, it's illegal there. Uh, there's a county in Indiana that has a law where on, the, uh, on Friday the 13th, if you have a black cat, you must put a bell around its neck. And then finally in New Hampshire, it's forbidden to collect seaweed at night. During the day, you're fine, but at night, uh, it's illegal. Man, there are laws and rules uh, all around us in our society. Uh, you can't get away from them. We are born into a rules, uh, hundreds of them. And rules stand by, ready to condemn us as soon as we step out of line. There's a, 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 a camera uh, at the, the traffic signal, ready to take your picture if you go through a red light. 
There's a referee ready to, to, to give you a, a yellow card or to throw a flag. I guess you give a red card. It's not my sport. Give a red card or to throw a yellow flag if you, if you make a penalty. Or at, at school, the teacher is, you know, giving you the side eye, watching your every move, uh, waiting for you to step out of line and to punish you. And we get that rules are necessary in order for a society to function, but we often don't feel excited about rules, right? Like we, we go along with them, uh, but we're not exactly excited about the rules and, and having to obey rules. And so it seems pretty natural to assume that uh, if there is a God, that he too operates in this way. He's like the big traffic cop in the sky uh, waiting to write out a ticket as soon as we do something wrong. And there's a lot of people out there, most people actually, that, uh, that assume that following Jesus just means another heap of rules that we have to abide by and go along with. A load more of stuff for us to feel guilty about because we'll never be able to measure up. And if that were true... I could totally understand why you wouldn't want to be involved in a God like that or Christianity at all. And there are, you know, there are pretty, uh, there are already uh, lots of rules in my life. Why would I want a whole nother set that the Bible gives us? We're used to having rules that are, that are part of our lives. Like there's nobody here that doesn't have a set of rules upon them. Anytime you join something or if you get into a a relationship or, or you, a, a club that you join, there's a new set of rules. You know, if you get a, a driver's license, you have to take a test of rules to get that thing and then obey those rules. When you go back to school, uh, uh, you know, this month, we're in August already, but when you go back to school this month, whether it be in person or online, you're going to have a set of rules that you ha have to follow. At your job or your place of employment, they have a rules. I started a new job in February. I did take a, a two days of orientation, uh, of training to understand the rules of that job. And then in relationships, there are implied rules in relationships. When you begin, begin dating somebody, uh, you will find out very quickly their preference for certain things, and they become uh, rules that you then have to uh, uh, abide by. I saw this saying one time that says, uh, marriage lets you annoy that one special person for the rest of your life. And so it's perfectly natural for people to fall in line with this way of thinking, that there are always rules. Everywhere you go, whatever you do, there's just an assumed set of rules that you have to abide by or there's consequences for them. And, 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 and then if that's the way of thinking, uh, that this is, must be the way that Christians live or when, or when they're making a, a, contemplating making that de decision uh, to accept Jesus in their life, they're thinking, okay, if I do this, what rules do I have to follow? And they might say, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian now and so I can't go see R-rated movies. I can't swear anymore or I got, got to try not to swear anymore. I can't go out and drink. Uh, I have to go to church as often as possible I got to be nice to everybody, even the neighbor I hate. I got to pretend to like him now, right? There's all these, these set of rules that as soon as you enter into relationship with God that you must follow. And that this, this has been a way of thinking for thousands of years. 
Dave read a story where this played out in the Bible as well, where a man thinking and seeing what Jesus was doing in Mark 10, where he read this, uh, this passage from, Jesus was doing his ministry. He's doing awesome things. Uh, he's, he's, he's in the main headlines of every paper. Uh, all the internet sites are talking about him because this guy is doing some awesome things. And this guy says, I want a piece of that. I want to be a part of that. I, I want what this guy is selling. And so he runs up to him. Mark 10, 17 says, this guy runs up to Jesus. He falls on his knees and he basically says, isn't Christianity all about following the rules? His exact thing, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But what he's asking Jesus, make no mistake, what rules do I have to follow? There's probably a ton of them, but what specific ones? What are the major ones that I have to follow? Because I, I want to believe in God. I want God in my life, but I also know that comes with rules. So just tell me, it's a show, I'm looking for the shortcut, cut to the chase. Tell me what rules I have to follow. What are the rules, rich man was thinking? He was thinking in terms of earning his righteousness to, to merit eternal life. You see, he was normal. This is the way life is in every facet of our lives. You have to earn your way. If you want an A in a class, you have to study. If you want a promotion at your job, you want, you want to get promoted to that next title, you have to work hard. You have to put in extra time, possibly. If you want to, to buy anything big, a, a house or a, or a boat, you have to earn money. You have to save money to, in order to get this thing. You have to follow the rules. And this man, much like you and me, are accustomed to this way of life. And this is exactly the heart of today's question. Isn't Christianity just about following a bunch of rules? And so I want to be direct and just give you a, a one-word answer right now, and then we'll go uh, further into the details of that answer. But isn't Christianity just a bunch of rules? The answer is no. Not even close. And if you're even thinking uh, even a little bit that Christianity might be a little bit about the rules, you are completely missing the essence of what it means to be in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we have a message outline uh, on our website. Hopefully you've gone and downloaded that. If you haven't, uh, you can go and, and get that right now. Uh, but the first point in our message uh, outline this morning is this, is that Christianity is a perfect love story. Christianity isn't about rules, but rather it's a perfect love story. When you stop and look closely, closely at the life of Jesus, you won't see a religion or rules that are being given. You cannot possibly read through the Gospels and read about what Jesus did and think, that guy is giving a set of rules. Now, what he did during his time here on earth was loved people. What he drew people into him, into a relationship with him. In fact, you see something radically different in Jesus' life, and that's why, what makes Jesus so deeply compelling in a world of rules that he is dif different. There's this amazing sentence in the Bible that tells of the, the, Jesus' purpose of coming to earth. I think many of you, whether you're a believer or not, probably know John 3.16. If you go to a sporting event, you can see John 3.16 plastered on, on cardboard cutouts. Well, not anymore. Fans aren't allowed there. But you used to be able to see that at sporting events all over the world. We all know John 3.16, that God for, uh, so loved the world that he gave his son. Whoever believes him will have eternal life, right? It's the most popular verse. But 17 is equally as awesome. As David say, it's one of my favorite verses. 
It says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But why did he send his son? In order that the world might be saved through him. Let me paraphrase that. God didn't send Jesus here to give rules and to condemn people for not following rules. He sent Jesus here to save us because we, he knew we could never follow the rules. Jesus was sent here to save us, not to condemn us. And that's the next point in this outline, Jesus, in your message outline. Jesus' purpose isn't to condemn. His purpose is to save Man, sit on that, read that, memorize that, believe that right now, because if you get that point, you're a long ways off. Jesus' purpose for coming to this earth was to save you. Rules are all about condemnation and punishment. And that is not what Jesus came to do. But neither did he come to simply affirm or approve of us. His message wasn't neither keep the rules or I'll condemn you. Nor was it, don't worry, be happy, you're awesome, live your life, be yourself. His message wasn't either one of those things. His message was this, I came to save you. There's a God in heaven who made us. We have offended him. Not just broken a few rules, uh, you all. Not just uh, turned our hearts against him. Or not just broken a few rules, but completely turned our hearts against him. There's a difference there. And a few rules aren't going to help us. The problem goes much deeper than just obeying rules. The problem's in our hearts. We don't need someone to come here and try us to tell harder, to, to tell us to try harder. We need someone who can save us, someone who can change us from the inside in. Our rebellious hearts deserves God's right condemnation. The wages of sin is death, and so that's what we deserve. But instead of condemning us, instead of giving us the wages of sin, he instead sends Jesus to save us. Jesus doesn't hand out parking tickets he freely hands out forgiveness to all who will ask him. When he died on the cross, he died to take the condemnation of our rebellious hearts that our rebellious hearts deserve. He does what we could never do for ourselves. And then he begins to change us. He changes our hearts so that we want to live God's way. We discover that the God who made us is the God who loves us and knows what's best for us. We discover that, that true freedom is not about being free to do whatever I want, but true freedom is living in and becoming what God wants me to be. Check that out. Rules are all, uh, what you're thinking about with rules is that they take away your freedom. But what we're saying, what I'm saying right here, what the Bible teaches us is that, that true freedom is not about being free to do whatever I want, but freedom to be the person that God made me to be. I suppose there's an element in religion of telling people how to live, but it isn't men telling uh, 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 people how to live. It's God telling people how to get right with him. And the next point is this, is that Christianity is not a religion, but rather Christianity is news. It's first and foremost news. John Piper gives an analogy of, of war that I think is so good. 
It's like we're in war and we're in a concentration camp and sitting in a jail for all of our lives and suddenly you hear on a smuggled in radio that the troops of deliverance have landed in and that the helicopter is five minutes away and they're conquering everything in their path and they're just about to get to the gate and open it. And having lived all of your lives behind these bars in this concentration camp, you are now going to be set free. Imagine that. That's Christianity. It's news that God sent rescue troops in the world, namely Jesus Christ. And that at a great cost to himself, he has conquered our enemy, the devil. He's opened the gates of the concentration camp and he's welcomed us home. And then you had the beautiful image of a son or daughter running to their lovingly father. And this is what we see when the gates are open. He stands there waiting for us to embrace him, waiting for us to run to him and to accept him. That's awesome. So when I think about what is missing from the average person's picture of Christianity, I want to show them that there is such freedom that is offered us because of what Jesus Christ did to die for our sins and such a sweet reunion with the one for whom we were made. You know, a lot of people see uh, God as, like I said earlier, like a traffic cop or a principal waiting to just punish you. That is not the image of, of the God of the Bible. That is not the God that I believe. The God I believe has a, a, a fatherly, come to me who, if you are weary, come to me if you are sick and let me give you rest. Let me take you in in my arms. That's the God that I believe. Now, I want to give you Jesus' answer to the rich man that asked the question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? The guy's looking for the major rule that he should follow, the one that he, he should focus on, uh, uh, the one that, uh, to make sure that he's in good, good in, in with God. Basically, the shortcut. Here's what Jesus says to the guy when he asks him this question. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He says, you know all these things in the Old Testament. And the guy says back to him, teacher, I've, I've kept all of these from my youth. I learned these in vacation Bible school and I've kept them all. Yes, but what is it really that I have to follow? And Jesus looked at him and said this. He looked at him, he loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. This was not what the man was expecting. I said earlier that Christianity is a love story, and here's why. It's love that compelled God to send his only son to earth to die for our sins and makes us right with him. And it's love that compels us to humbly fall before our Savior in adoration and praise. So why would anyone actually want to follow Jesus? And it's love. Love compels us to follow. John 14, 15 says it this way, if you love me, Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The, 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 the transverse, the opposite is also true. If you, you get all grammar nerdy on you and you switch that sentence around, if you don't keep my commandments, what does it mean? You don't love me. And folks, this is so key. A right relationship with God is all 
about love. It's not following rules. A right relationship with God is about love. Loving your heavenly Father, and out of that comes following. If love is not there, your faith, your religion, is just a bunch of rules that you have to do. And it's wrong. You have it upside down. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 uh, is, I, I love this passage. It's so great and so fitting for this. It says this, for Christ's love compels, compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I love that word, compels. In the uh, NIV, they use the word controls, right? You have such love that it controls you to do certain things. But this world here in the ESV, it compels us. What does compel mean? It means that you're driven to do something. Webster's Dictionary describes this as having a powerful and irresistible effect or an influence. Christ's love for us and the sacrifice he made on the cross for me has a powerful and irresistible effect and influence on me, so much so that I follow and submit to him as my Lord and Savior, not because I have to follow the rules, but my love makes me want to follow him. That's the order. There's a group of teenage uh, kids that uh, love to go to play basketball in the park most every day. They would grab their, their ball and, and uh, pay, play a, a pick up games. And, and they did this a lot. And almost every day that they're there, they were there lots. But weeks after weeks, they noticed every day that they're there, there was an, a frail old man sitting out on the side of the park feeding birds, throwing bread on the ground, feeding birds. This happened, you know, day after day, week after week, and finally curiosity got the best of them. And after playing their game, they decided to go up to the old man and, and, and ask, why, what? Like every day you feed birds? And so they go up to the man and they say, hi, sir, uh, 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 you mind if we ask you a question? They said, I take it you really like birds. We see you here almost every day feeding these ugly pigeons. Why? Pigeons are, are uh, dirty, uh, pesky, urban pets, right? They're always looking for breadcrumbs or, or stuff on the ground to eat. Uh, they're not like pretty doves or other beautiful birds. But pigeons in the past have proven to be nothing short of heroes. In October of 1918, uh, if you can uh, think that far back, some of you might have been alive then, maybe. Uh, but we were in our time of World War I. And New York's 77th Infantry Division became stranded behind enemy lines in France, suffering from uh, the advancing Germany army. And more than half the troops in the unit, known as the, the Lost Battalion, were killed or captured in this battle. And there were only about 200 men that remained, and they struggled to alert headquarters for assistance beneath a bar barrage of enemy artillery. The old man on the bench was a first lieutenant of that division, Lieutenant Rickenbacker. And during World War I, uh, messages were sometimes transmitted by uh, wire. Uh, they didn't have a, you know, a cell phone where they could just take out and, and text people or, or they didn't have two-way radio. The only way of communication was by setting up uh, a wire, but that was not 
uh, possible in some areas that they fought. Sometimes the unit was ordered to attack over a broad and often difficult terrain, making it impossible to string the wire necessary for communication. And so in these situations, a field commander would often carry, carry with him several carrier pigeons. Pigeons served many purposes during the war, racing through the skies with airplanes or even being uh, fitted with cameras that they could send up and, and get uh, pictures of, of enemy territory. But one important role they served was messenger. An important message could be written on a piece of paper uh, that uh, then was neatly folded and secured in a small, small canister attached to a pigeon's uh, leg or back. I don't know if you can see this uh, picture well, but this little canister here holds a message. And they would release this, uh, this homing pigeon. It would then fly to uh, back over enemy lines to U.S. grounds where they could then uh, take the message out and, and read it. Now, this job was also very dangerous. Uh, enemy soldiers were nearby, and uh, they knew what these pigeons were for. And so anytime an enemy soldier would see a pigeon flying, they would try to shoot it out. They knew that the bird would be carrying an important message, and they did their best to take these pigeons out. And many of these pigeons didn't last very long. I think I read that the average uh, mission of one of these pigeons was like three minutes. It did not last very long. But some of these pigeons of World War I became quite famous among the infantry men that they worked for. One pigeon was named uh, the Mocker. He flew 52 missions before he was wounded. And there was another pigeon called President Wilson. Uh, he was actually shot out of the sky, lost a leg, but he eventually got himself up again and flew across, delivered his message before the pigeon actually succumbed to his injuries. Now, going back to Lieutenant Rickenbacker and the 77th Infantry, they were st stranded, like I said, behind the enemy's lines in France. The German uh, army uh, was, was, was marching upon them, and they knew that they were outnumbered. They were just kind of getting their, bear the, the German army was just getting their bearing bearings before they were going to attack and kill the 200 remaining U.S. men, Mr. Rickenbacker being one of them. And so... Uh, taking on a barrage of artillery the enemy, from the enemy and no way of communicating back, the men wrote a message and strapped it to a pigeon. I know it's hard to read, but this is actually one, an example of one of the messages. And on the note, they, give, they gave their position. They told of the great danger that the troops were in, and then they released the pigeon in the hopes that it would make it back to its home to the American camp because they didn't have much time. Well, this pigeon on that day did make it back. The message was delivered. The American forces sent a, a special forces team and rescued the remaining, the remaining 200 men of the 77th Infantry, including Lieutenant Rickenbacker. And now nearly 70 years later, this old man now hadn't forgot what that bird did for him. And as those boys sat and listened to the story of this, this old soldier, their eyes were really wide, and Mr. Rickenbacker uh, said this to the boys. Every day I think of the pigeon that saved my life. You might see them as a dirty old bird, but I see them as the reason that I'm alive and the lives of all of, all of my friends, and I am so thankful. So thankful that I feel compelled to show my gratitude 
by feeding in the pigeon by feeding pigeons in the park as often as I can. Folks, the rules in the Bible aren't there so we can earn our way into heaven. They aren't there so we can earn the favor of God. We don't follow biblical guidelines to earn our way or receive grace. Christians follow Jesus first because there is love, and then that love compels us to follow. I'm going to close by talking uh, directly to the person who asked this question today. Because it came from somebody, one person specific. Or you, if you two are in the same boat as this person, that you feel, you feel Christianity is about uh, rules and the Bible is there to restrict us from doing what we want, I want to talk to you, just you two, or you few right now. I want to challenge you to try something this week. Starting today, forget about the rules. Don't worry about the rules. Don't worry about living up to a certain measure. Don't think about the rules one bit. Throw them out. Don't think about the Ten Commandments. Don't think about the stuff that you think the Bible says. Don't worry about them this week. But instead, commit to doing a couple of things that help you fall in love with Jesus this week. I want to tell you about, there's one guy in the Bible who never followed one rule, who never did one good thing his entire life that we know, and he's in heaven. He's a guy who died on the cross right next to Jesus. He's horrible from his life, from his actions. He did nothing good. He didn't follow a rule. He didn't go to Sunday school or get baptized or feed the homeless. He was a robber. The Bible says he had a, committed, he had a life that was committed to a thievery and, and just bad stuff. But one thing he did right with one of his last remaining minutes of his life, he fell in love with Jesus. And because of that, he's now in heaven with him. It's so important that you fall in love with Jesus because Christianity is not a religion. It's not a set of rules. You don't earn your way. Christianity is a love story. And it's all about falling in love with Jesus. And so if you'll commit with me today to this week, if this is you, commit to this week to doing a couple of things of falling in love with Jesus, forgetting the rules, just falling in love with Jesus. I wrote down three things in the outline, but I want to go over them with you right here. These are just a couple of suggested tips of how you can try to fall in love with Jesus this week. The first one is this. Spend time reading the Bible and devotionals. Everything that God wants to teach you about life, about his son, about salvation and eternal life is all sitting right there. Pick up the Bible. Pick up a good devotional. Pick up good, a, a good book by, by uh, some authors that, that we suggest. And just read about the God that loves you. The second thing is to talk to God. You know, the Bible uses the word pray, but it's actually just talking to God. Just sit there. You don't have to know how to pray. You don't have to think about, uh, you know, the, uh, what, what, what prayer structure should I use? You don't have to think about acts, you know, the uh, uh, application, supplication, thanksgiving. Uh, don't worry about that. Just sit there and talk to him as if you're sitting across from your best friend. Tell him about the joys in your life. Tell him about the things that you're worried about. Tell him about the things that you're scared for. Just talk with him. 
And then finally, the third thing is to engage in community. You know, you're not expected to be able to learn everything about Christianity and God on your own. Let people come alongside of you, help you learn of that. There's some super smart people in this church and, and other places that will do that, that will come alongside with you, that will talk with you, that can help lead you through life. You see this in, in sports, teams that have veteran players that kind of help lead the rookies. You see that there, the same as in the church. If you renew in your faith, you have made a decision for Christ. That's awesome. That's the first step. Now begin a process of discipleship. Allow yourself to be coached by a veteran. We have a 101 class that, that Pastor Dave leads, uh, and he's been a pastor now for 92 years or so. He's very smart and knowledgeable. He can help you. Sign up for that 101 class. That's what it's for. It's there to help you per pursue this, this belief and this faith and, and know Jesus more. It's a class that's not there to teach rules. It's a class there that helps you fall in love with Jesus more. And we're going to do another one soon. Do that. But we also have discipleship groups that take place, community groups. Man, get engaged with some people. Raise your hand and say, I want to be engaged in community. But I hope this week, and by just listening to the message this week, today, that you know one thing, that, that uh, rules pale in comparison to a love that you have with Jesus. Christianity is a love story. And your heavenly father is sitting there waiting arms wide open. He has opened the doors, the, the gates of the concentration camp. Run out to him. Love him. Embrace him. Will you pray with me today? Father God, I thank you, Lord, for the awesome love that you have for us. I thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son down to earth, Lord, not to condemn us, but to save us. That is love. And Father, I just pray that, that um, the person who wrote this question and the people that relate to it can walk away with uh, the truth from your word today. Lord, that, it's, that, that a list of rules and following and obedience isn't what is first expected but first expected is just to love. Lord, help us to, to fall in love with you again this week or to commit to loving you more this week. Father, I thank you for setting the example by first loving us, not because we were good people, but because you knew we needed to be saved. Lord, you are a good, good father. We love you so much. And we pray all these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you.